If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to the to the book of Ezra. Ezra 10 verse 11 uh, is really what we've... Last week we started looking at the question of, of what is biblical repentance? Uh, what they had asked me to, to talk about at the conference at First Baptist Edmond last week. And as there, I didn't finish it. Uh, and here, I didn't finish it either. It's surprising. I will fill the time. I'm like... For those science folks, I'm like a, I'm like a gaseous vapor, just fill in whatever space you give me, uh, and that's what we do. So we didn't get to the end of it, and it's and and so last week we saw from Ezra uh, tell us that that repentance is uh, it, well. Let's look at Ezra uh, ten verse eleven. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word as we're building on this idea of repentance as action. And I appreciate those of you who, who said, you know, I, I hadn't really thought a lot about repentance as something that I need to be doing in my everyday life, not just uh, I became a Christian and repented uh, and sort of that was the end of it. Uh, hopefully that's been an encouragement and hopefully this week, if necessary, you have repented uh, and, and gotten to work in that repentance. That repentance was action. But here, Ezra ten eleven. now then make confession to the Lord the God of your fathers, and do his will. Let's pray. Father, our desire is that we would confess with our mouths what we need to confess. Confess that we have trusted in things that provide us nothing. That we've trusted in uh, things that are not you. And so may we return to you. And when we do, Father, uh, may we obey you. May we do your will. May we see that our repentance must be a repentance that involves action. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so that verse was kind of the, the jumping off point for saying, okay, so, so repentance, biblical repentance is, is not just something that we do, you know, just, just mentally. Uh, that biblical repentance is something that we do Physically, it is an act that repentance is an action that we do. Not just identifying, oh, I've got a problem with this. It's not just identifying the problem that we have. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better wife. I need to be a better mother. I need to be a, a better Christian, whatever it is. It's not, it's not just identifying the problem that repentance isn't just being aware of our failures, but doing something about them. It is confessing, I see this problem. Yes, Lord, you are right. I need to do this. Or yes, Lord, you're right. I need to stop doing that. It's to confess that, but then to do his will. We saw that true repentance, the Bible says, true repentance always bears fruit. In other words, if, you, if repentance, if your repentance doesn't lead to you doing something, it's just not true repentance. It is not biblical repentance. It's feeling bad. It might be a worldly grief. Oh, I should be better than this, and I'm not. But it is not biblical repentance. Repentance, uh, according to Scripture, always bears fruit. It is seen in a changed life. Our lives change both inwardly and outwardly. And we saw that it's not even just action, that repentance is the right action, meaning this, that when you and I repent, we don't get to choose how to make things right with God. Uh, and that's what the Israelites, remember, we looked at those passages when Israel was like, Ugh, we have sinned. What do you want? Uh, a thousand uh, rivers of oil? Do you want a bunch of young calves? Do you want our firstborn? Whatever it is. And what did God say? I want you to do what I told you to do. 
That's what I want. You don't need to try and figure out, you know, oh, I'll repent and we'll repent this way. He says repentance isn't just action. Repentance is the right action. So if you and I go, oh, I feel bad uh, for the way I've been as a, as a husband this week, let's say. Well, how do we repent? We don't just get to choose, okay, I'll give to God this or I'll do this for God or, or whatever. It's be, be the husband you're supposed to be. That's how you repent. Quit doing what you were doing uh, or start doing what you weren't doing. That's what repentance looks like. It's not just feeling sorry. It's not just offering some action. Repentance is doing his will. Like we just saw in, in Ezra, confess and then do, not something, not anything, do his will. So we saw that repentance has to have right action. But that's not all that the Bible tells us about repentance. Uh, the Bible also is going to say that the attitudes we have in our repentance are also going to be important. That there are certain attitudes that must match up. That there are certain repentant attitudes. The attitude that must match with our repentance. So our actions and our attitudes must align during the activity of repentance so let's talk about what sort of attitudes does the Lord wants to have when we repent and I lo- turn to Hosea chapter 12 Hosea chapter you know I love the book of Hosea uh you know I, and I really I really love Hosea 12 because of its words on repentance it's a this is a very helpful passage here God has just told to give you the context God has just told Israel about their sin uh, and instead of stopping sin, the problem God says is instead of stopping sin, after I told you about it, you actually multiplied it. Uh, so I told you about your sin and you didn't repent. In fact, you started to do more of it. Uh, and then not only did you multiply, you also partnered with other people who were in sin. Let that be a, a word of wisdom as well. Partnering with those who are also in sin is a, never a good idea. Uh, and so they were partnering with Assyria. They were partnering uh, with Egypt. And so he's like, you've, you've gone the, the, the wrong way on this. But then we get to verse 6. And here's where we get to the repentance. So you, by the help of your God, return. There's that word repent. Remember the word return and the word repent. going to be the same word in your, in your Bibles in the Hebrew. Uh, the translators are just choosing one or the other. Repentance kind of sometimes has a more churchy feel to it, but the same word. So, so then... You, by the help of your God, repent. I mean, that's what he's asking Israel to do. Repent, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And I, and I like this uh, verse six here because I think in verse six, we can see three attitudes that are going to be absolutely essential to match up with our repentant actions. Three attitudes to have while we are repenting. Because what can happen is we can repent and do the right action, but the attitudes that we have while doing those can either sour the action uh, or end up leading to more sin in the future. And we're going to see why uh, these actions are going to be helpful as we're repenting. So, so Hosea 12, 6 can be helpful to remember, do this as you're repenting, keep these, keep these actions, sort of the, the backbone to why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, and the first thing we see is the, the necessary attitude of humility, humility, that repentance must always be humble. There's all, there must always be a sense of humility in our repentance, because look at what he says here. So you by the help of your God, repent. 
We understand that if repentance is going to happen in our lives, it's not ultimately happening because we're so great. It's not ultimately happening because you and I finally saw it. And we see it, and this is where humility comes in. Often what happens is we see it, and you know who doesn't see it? All these other people. And this is what happens sometimes when, have you ever been convicted of something? Something that you might have done for years. And the Lord convicts you, and you're like, I repent, Lord. And then all of a sudden you're looking around and going, well, but what's with all these other people? Uh, And what can happen is we just figured it out five minutes ago by the help of our God. Uh, and we all of a sudden can't believe that everybody else doesn't already see what we just saw. And pride can begin to well up in our repentance. So one thing we need to always maintain in our repentance is to realize that we repent by the help of our God. It is our God who helps us. Jeremiah is even more forthright in what is going on in our repentance. Jeremiah 31 verse 18. Look what Jeremiah says. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. This is one of those translations. I don't understand why they did it this way, uh, but that, that bring me back that I may be restored is literally repent me so that I may repent. Turn me so that I may turn. Soothe me so that I may soothe. And you can see that already. The Hebrew has already done that before. Discipline me. You disciplined me and I was disciplined. And now it's continuing that Hebrew parallelism here. Cause me to repent. Repent me. Return me. Bring me back to you so that I may be brought back to you. Jeremiah is recognizing here when we repent, when we return, it is ultimately the Lord who is bringing us back to himself. And that means that then makes no area for pride or boasting, just like in our salvation. It continues, no area for pride or boasting, even in our repentance. So in our repentance, there must always be this humble recognition, I am only returning because of the faithfulness of my God. Because my God has caused me to return to him. My God has caused me to come back to him. It is by the help of my God that I have repented. And that then makes repentance a a humble action because we realize that ultimately our repentance is just more of God's gracious and merciful work in our lives. I mean, there's, there's no place for pride in our repentance. We got ourselves into the mess, but we certainly didn't get ourselves out of it. It is God who causes us to repent. It is God who causes us to come back to him. And of course, the Old Testament is full of ways that God does that for and to his people, some more drastic than others, uh, but always with the goal of bringing his people back to uh, himself. So, uh, so there, we must be humble. But, but look, go back, to Hosea, go back to Hosea 12 again. So go back to Hosea 12, verse 6. Let's see, see what else he says. So you, by the help of your God, repent. So we repent by the help of our God. The next thing we see is that in repentance, we must be steadfast in our repentance. We must, as he says, hold fast to love and justice. Now, this isn't a thing that he's just throwing out there. Okay, repent and hold fast to love and justice. Holding fast, love and justice are the things they weren't doing. It's the actions that they hadn't been doing that if they're repenting, they're going to start doing. 
But notice he doesn't just say repent and start doing love and justice. He says repent and then hold fast to the obedience. Be steadfast in your repentance. We've got we've to remember, because what can happen is we can repent and think battle's over, right? We can fight one battle and think we've won the war, right? Uh, oh man, I feel bad the way I treated my wife as a husband. I'll go to her and say, sweetie, I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't do that or I should have done this. I wasn't being like Christ treats the church, whatever. And then we can walk away and go, woo. Man, she's going to be blessed now. Uh, the battle to be a godly husband is over. Uh, I can now, I don't have to worry about that. That's been handled. Uh, the, 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 the reality is when we repent, we must continue to hold fast to the obedience that God has convicted us to do. In this case, hold fast to, to love and justice. Repentance is not just a momentary reaction to our sinfulness. It is a sustained redirection of our obedience. Okay, so repentance is not just a momentary reaction to our sinfulness. It is a sustained redirection of our obedience. If our repentance is genuine, if our repentance is genuine, that it will not just be met with action. It will be met with steadfast action. We will hold firm to the thing we once let go of. In this case, it was love and justice, whatever it is for you, whatever the sin is that you're repenting of, you won't just like repent of it and be done with it. You will, you will hold firm to the obedience that God has called you to. You will hold firm to the will. Like if we go back to Ezra, Ezra in Ezra 7, and they're supposed to repent uh, to separate themselves from the people and to not marry these foreign wives. It wouldn't have been repentance if they had done that, right? In Ezra 11, and then in Ezra 12, just gone back to, you know, all of a sudden, well, okay, I got to get away from four wives, did that. And then one month later, hey, you know, uh, I don't know the name of a foreign wife in the Old Testament. Uh, would, you, would you like to, hey, you Hivite, uh, would you like to come over here uh, and uh, hang out in Israel for a while? I mean, that, that wouldn't be repentance. It would be continued, steadfast repentance. Uh, our repentance must be steadfast. We must hold firm. In other words, repentance isn't fickle. Repentance isn't just momentary. It's not fickle. It's not, I feel bad and then I don't feel bad. And then I feel like if you're going to repent, then you need to hold firm to the obedience that God has called you to. So true repentance holds on to obedience. And this is, this is why when we don't, what ends up happening? This is why in our Christian lives, you, we can hopefully all testify. I know some of you can because I counsel you about the same things over and over. And I know from my own life that I sin certain sins over and over. And, you know, you struggle with certain sins. You kill them and kill them and kill them. Well, here's where that comes from. This is, this is why we often end up having to repent of the same actions. I still can't control my tongue. I still can't, you know, I still, I still say things and, oh, I can't believe I said that. Sorry. Or I still act a certain way and I do it and I go, oh, you know, I got to quit doing that. Why is it that we have to repent of the same things over and over? Because we are not being steadfast in our repentance. We repent, we confess. And we do, we say, oop, I should shut my mouth. You are right. And we will hold our tongue for one conversation. But in if in between conversations, we are not steadfastly holding on to our obedience in every other conversation, then that person who happens to know all the buttons to push 
which is something that they get when they put a ring on their finger. They get access to all your buttons. Uh, You may not know that. That's one thing that happens. Then that person who knows all the buttons to push, even inadvertently, says something, and we blah, and we're like, oh, and you got to repent of it again. Why? Because we are not being steadfast in our repentance. I mean, let's say you go to one abolition day. Right? You attend one meeting. Oh, I can't believe that I wasn't seeking to abolish abortion. I can't believe that I was supporting like these, these, these incremental laws that are, that are unequal weights and measures that God says are an abomination in or whatever. It wouldn't be just to do that one time. Be like, ah, I repented. I'm done. Like there has to be continued steadfast action on behalf of the thing. It has, we have to be steadfast. In this case, he said, be steadfast in love and justice. And so when we are repenting, we must maintain that attitude of, of this is what I repented. I've got to remember to hold fast to obedience. I've got to hold fast. With it. I've got to be steadfast. I've got to hold on to these things. Or again, we'll just be repenting of the same thing over and over uh, and over. Uh, and finally... Uh, not for the sermon. Don't think you're getting out that easy. Uh, just from these, just from these attitudes. Uh, finally, the the our repentance must be clothed in confidence. Our repentance must be clothed in confidence. Look at what he says. Uh, hold. So by the help of your God, repent. Hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. That word wait can also be translated hope. Hope continually. Wait, either way, the expectation is God is going to come. God is going to do it. God is going to be there. God is going to to be with you. God is going to bring the change. God's going to, you know, the battle you're fighting, you repented of, you're wanting to return to the Lord. When you return to God, don't expect that God will have abandoned you. Don't expect that God will not be there. You can, you can trust in the Lord, your God, to, to be there for you. You can be confident that as you wait for God, he will continue his work in you and continue his work in the rest of the church. Because some of the times when we get discouraged in our repentance is God has changed us. We're holding on to uh, love and justice. We're being steadfast to hold to our repentance And then we can get really discouraged that God's ever going to change anybody else. And so if our attitude is not one of hope, if our attitude is not one that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion and he who began a good work in his bride is going to bring it to completion. I mean, Christ is going to wash his bride with the water. He will present her blameless. He will present her spotless. That is going to happen. And if we, if we are not confident in God's work to to bring us to repentance and us to repentance, then in the middle of our repentance, we can become, we can become frustrated. Uh, we can become bitter. We can become cynical, normally cynical about everybody but us, right? It's it very rarely, I mean, sometimes we do struggle with cynicism. I'm never going to get any better. But a lot of times we struggle with cynicism toward other people, uh, other people within the, within the bride of Christ. So wait, hope, uh, and hope. Notice that he expects a, that this wait and hope is not going to be immediate. What does he say? Wait continually. Wait continually on the Lord your God. Wait continually for 
him. So we wait, we hope, and we do so maybe for a long period of time, always being obedient and always calling our brothers and sisters to repentance. I hope you know that when we say we're, we're hoping for their repentance, we're not silently hoping and watching them be bad fathers uh, and going, I'm just going to wait and the Lord work that out. That's kind of awkward. Uh, we're not silently waiting on them to be better wives. You know, she comes in and she's always, you know, about her husband. And we're like, whoo, Lord, you're going to have to, you really have to fix that. I mean, we're still, we're still call, We're still saying, hey, you shouldn't say things like that. Uh, don't talk about your husband like that. Uh, or we certainly don't go, you know, I noticed the same thing, sweetie. Uh, we don't, we don't do that, right? Mine, oh, you think yours is bad. Uh, we don't do, we don't do that. We still call each other to repentance, but we are patiently waiting for the Lord to bring that repentance in their life. Just, I mean, don't be shocked when you speak the truth to someone and they don't immediately repent. The reason you shouldn't be shocked is think of how many times the Lord himself spoke his word to you and you were like, mm-mm, like, mm-mm, not yet. No, I don't see it. What are you talking about, Lord? And like skipping those verses and skipping those chapters or whatever, like be just as patient with him. Wait continually for who? For God to work, knowing that he will. God is going to purify his bride. You just be faithful uh, and the Lord, the Lord will, will cleanse his people and you're going to be part of that too. So maintaining those, those attitudes, biblical repentance is going to be right action paired with a right attitude. We'll be humble, we'll be steadfast, but we'll be confident. We'll be confident because God is going to, is and is going to turn his bride into a holy dwelling place for himself. That is going to happen. Uh, and you're just getting to be a part of that. Uh, so, so, so have that confidence, uh, that humble, steadfast confidence okay so that's the that's the attitudes the next thing we're going to say is why is this so important why talk about repentance what is the value of repentance for God's people and how is God going to use repentance in his people to do amazing things in this world because the Bible actually says the reason your repentance is important isn't just because of you that there's something beyond you. So there's a reason, not just that you must repent, but that Christ's bride must be a repentant people. Okay, so, so your repentance, again, because I hate to tell you, all of this is not just about you, right? Uh, you may be, may, maybe you're just sitting over there thinking, I'm still not sure you're all not robots, uh, you know, or, you know, whatever it may be. I used to think that when I was a little kid, I'd be like, I wonder, I wonder if everybody else is a robot. You know, and I'd sit around there. And then, and then there was a movie that came out where that was what the movie was about. And I was like, oh, you're just trying to trick me into thinking that I'm crazy for thinking everybody's robots. Uh, but anyway, that's, 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 that's what your pastor used to think as a child. Uh, but, but what we don't, so what we don't want to do is, is think that this repentance is just about your life and getting your life right. There's a bigger work of God in the repentance of his people. Let's look at why repentance is so important for us as a church. Remember, all these passages we looked at, when it's talking to Israel, it's not talking to Jacob the person, right? It's not like, you know, hundreds of years after Jacob's death, it's like, hey, Israel, you need to repent. And it's like, dude, he's been dead for a while. I mean, who's it talking to? It's talking to the nation and saying, you need to repent. You need to return to the Lord. You need to hold fast. You need to be confident. Why do we need all these things to be true in each of our lives? Because repentance is important in the life of God's people. 
One way that it's important is repentance is gospel living. Repentance is the gospel made flesh. It is, it is, it is what it is going to look like when the gospel has genuinely taken effect in the people of God. It is very much part of the gospel message. What were the, what was the, the very first words of Christ? The very first words of Christ in the gospel of Mark, uh, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15, It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the gospel and saying what? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what do you want us to do, Jesus? Time's fulfilled. Kingdom of God's here. What are we supposed to do? He says, repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is coming to these Jews. He's saying, look, the kingdom of God is here. Remember the the Jewish mind. What are you saying? You need to return to God and believe in the good news. Return to God. The kingdom of God is here. The day has come. uh, The day of the Lord. And so what are we going to do? We need to return to God and believe the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 20. Same thing's going to continue in in this message of the gospel. What is expected uh, of God's people? Acts chapter 20. Paul talking to the Ephesian elders uh, about what his ministry was. uh, And he says, beginning in in verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was Paul's message of the gospel? Towards God, what do you need to do? Repent, which we just looked last week, which if you're like, I don't, I wouldn't hear for those verses. Like you, you look, there's all all these verses of like return to the Lord, return to the Lord, return to the Lord. Those are just the word repent. Repent to the Lord, repent to the Lord. So his message was repenting, returning to God, returning toward God and towards Christ. So towards God, repentance. Towards Christ, what? Faith. Well, what is that? I mean, you put those two together. What is Paul proclaiming? That you and I can return to God, something we should not be able to do. How? By faith in Christ. Which is really the same thing that Jesus was proclaiming in Mark chapter 1. Return. Return. The kingdom of, hand is, is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Return. Return to God. How? How can they return? It is only their belief in the good news that returning to God is even possible that will make that return something they can do. So uh, as Christians, repentance is part of the gospel life. For some reason, and you go through, we looked at those passages in the Old Testament, throughout the life of Israel, throughout the life of God's people, he's not going, he doesn't say, hey, Jeremiah, take this message of repentance, uh, and I want you to take it to Cush. Now, he does sometimes, he just goes to Cush and says, hey, you're about to be destroyed. Uh, but the message of return to the Lord is to God's people. I mean, we need to be a people, for, for some reason as Christians, We have turned repentance into a one-time thing you do when you first become a Christian. But the the, the question the Bible asks is not, have you repented? Have you repented? I mean, have you repented of your sins? Which again is a phrase you will not really find in Scripture, repented of your sins. 
More rightly, the question that the Bible asks isn't have you repented, but are you repenting? Are you repenting? And that was Paul's worry here in, in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is, the, this is the only time that the Bible talks about repenting from our sin rather than repenting towards God, returning to God. I mean, of course, you're going to turn from your sin to do that. But look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they've practiced. The problem, Paul says, isn't that these people haven't repented. The problem is that these people that Paul preached to and said they believed in the gospel, who repented then, are not continuing to repent now. The problem isn't that the Corinthians hadn't repented. The problem is they're not repenting. That they haven't continued to repent. So they believed in Christ through Paul's preaching. Now he's humbled. Why? Because he comes back and they're not continuing to repent. That's why he's going to be humbled. These aren't some geeks off the street who just managed to walk into Corinth. And he's like, why would Paul be humbled that some new guy hasn't repented yet? Why is Paul humbled? Because he preached the gospel to them. He told them to repent. They repented. They turned to God. They believed in Christ, but they are not continuing to repent. They're not continuing to live out the gospel message. The gospel is not seen in a life of repentance. And so they go back, they commit sensuality, they commit sexual immorality, and they are not repenting of that. And so Paul said that would bring him shame, not because they haven't repented, but because they are not continuing to repent of any sin that comes into their life. They might have thought, oh yeah, and look, if you have been anywhere in Oklahoma and talked to anybody about Jesus for any sin, what will they be able to say? Oh, no, I, I repented of my sins. I, I was eight years old one time, and I uh, was like, well, good. Everyone was eight years old one time. Uh, but when I was eight, I prayed a prayer, and, you know, I, I confessed my sins, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and so I'm good. And I'm looking at them as they commit a sin in my very presence, uh, which, I mean, shock. Uh, and, and I go, but yeah, the Christian life is one, not just of repentance, of repenting. And they're like, oh, that's good. Then I'll just do it after I get done. I'm like, no, you don't get that either. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Hebrews and see why trampling the blood of Christ underfoot is not a good thing. Uh, how there will remain no repentance. And they're like, we don't need to get the Bible out. Like, that's pretty clear in your life. Uh, but that, that, that idea of what? The, the idea that we sort of repent here and then we just kind of live, the, the gospel is a life of repentance. Again, that's why Martin Luther said in that first thesis that the, when Christ said we should repent, he meant that the entirety of the Christian life, the very first thesis of the 95 theses, that the entirety of the Christian life should be one of repentance. And you look at these passages, what do they say? Repent, so, so let's, just, let's just use a little Bible logic here. The passages we looked at that talked about repent, what did they say? Repent and what? Believe. Repent and what? Have faith. Do, do we think those other things? So we think, what, you think repentance is a one-time? Do you think belief is a one-time event? Do you think faith is a one-time event? I believed there, but I don't believe anymore, but it's okay. I believed when I was that, that, then. Do we think faith? Of course, the Christian life is one of continually believing, one of continually having faith, and it is one of continually repenting. It is not repent that is the one-time event and the others. I mean, these two go hand in hand. Repent towards God and believe in Christ. Have faith in Christ is what it actually says here. 
The, the Christian life is one of continual belief, continual faith, and also one of continual repenting. To know the gospel, to live the gospel, is to live a life of repentance. So you and I, we have to be a church We have to be a people who are constantly repenting. If there is a moment where we have turned from God towards sin, what we do is we return to God. How do we know we can return to God? Because we believe in Christ. We know our sins have been forgiven. We know we have life in him. We know we can return to God because Christ has atoned for our sins. So I can come back. Why? Because my faith isn't in me. It's not in. I can't go, oh, I messed it up. It wasn't about you. It's in Christ. So just return to God. Well, how can I do that? Have faith in Christ. That Christ has covered that sin. Even this one that I just did, even though I've, I've been a Christian for this long, and I keep asking, yes, faith in Christ, not yourself. Return to the Lord. You can. Why? Because of Christ. But I'm not good enough. You never were. You never were good enough. Have faith in Christ and repent. Return to him. That's the Christian life. The gospel put to flesh means your faith and your belief lead you to constantly repent and return to the Lord. Constantly returning to him. But that's not the only reason that repentance is necessary in the Christian life. Repentance is also necessary. I picked this one because it's what we're talking about. It seems like forever, like Brian warned us, uh, is that repentance, uh, repentant prayers are heard prayers. If you want your prayers to be heard, you must be a repentant people. Look, look at uh, Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 12 through 15. It says, what man is there who desires life? And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We cannot, if we are an unrepentant people, if we are continuing to do evil, If we are not turning away from evil and doing good, right? Not just turning away from the wrong, but doing the good. Either either whether it's we've got wrong action or we've got inaction, whatever it is. We're not turning from that and doing what's right. We cannot expect the Lord to answer our prayers. He says the eyes of the Lord are toward the people, toward the righteous who are doing those things. His ears are toward their cry. In fact, the Bible says if we don't do this, that the Lord will be against us. You continue to read on in Psalm 34, that he is against those who don't do these things. So if you want your prayers to be heard, if you want want God to not just hear your prayers, but not be against them, then we must be a people who turn from evil and do good, who seek peace and pursue it. We must be people who are living righteous life. So repentance is necessary for our prayers to be heard. The, the next thing, and this is uh, you know, even, even uh, a, a bigger thing, the, the reason repentance is so important is repentance is evangelistic. Well, think of this. But repentance biblically is evangelistic. Look at Jeremiah chapter 4. We've looked at this passage. This will be, I think, the third time uh, that we've looked at this in the last two weeks. But look at what it, look at what it says. Especially down in verse 2. He says, if you return, if you repent, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should repent. If you remove your detestable things from my presence, then do not waver. Again, hold fast to it. 
Repentance is held fast to. So if you, if you can, you know, flip back uh, to Hosea 12 and write Hosea 12, 6 and write Jeremiah 4, 1. Um, hold fast uh, and do not waver here. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, so you return to the Lord and you return to him. If you return to Israel, if you return to me, then what? Then nations shall bless themselves in him. In whom? In the Lord. If you return, if you take, if you take the first clause and carry out the, 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 the subconsequential clauses, if you repent, O Israel, then the nations will bless themselves in him. Who's the him? The Lord. And in him, they shall glory. We say we, say we want the nations to obey the Lord. We say we want the nations to bow the knee to King Jesus. Well, if you want that, then repentance in your life is key to that happening. You cannot be evangelistic and unrepentant at the same time. You cannot say you want people to come to faith in Christ while holding on to your sin because God will use our repentance to cause the nation to glory in God. Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, a light to the nations. And for that to happen, Jeremiah says, Israel needs to repent. Sometimes sometimes we think, sometimes we think that repentance is a sign of defeat or a sign of failure. But repentance is what moves the nations to faith. When they see a people turning from sin to God because of what? Their belief in the good news, Jesus says, Mark 1. Because of their faith in Christ, Paul says, Acts 20. When they see people returning to God, that repentance, that turning to the Lord is what will move the nations to faith. It's what will cause the nations to praise the Lord. I mean, we don't, we don't just demand righteous laws when the nations glory in the Lord. We demand righteousness in order to cause the nations to glory in the Lord. This is what I always want to tell pro-life legislators. You don't say, I'll write a pro-life bill when the nations are serving the Lord. No, your repentance of not writing pro-life or not writing abolitionist legislation, your repentance for the bills you have written and saying, we did not seek the Lord. We trusted in Assyria. We trusted in horses. We trusted in justices like we talked last week. You're saying, I need to do what God says is what actually is going to cause the nations to glory in the Lord. So many times we look at it, the nations and go, well, they're not, they're not ever going to glory in the Lord. Look, seek righteousness. It is when you and I repent and do the right thing. When we repent and don't waver, when we say, as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, that is what will cause the nations to bless themselves in the Lord. That's what will cause them to glory in him repentance and our corresponding obedience is evangelistic so when the lord calls you to repent when the lord exposes your sin 
You must repent for your sake, for the sake of your family, for the sake of the name of God, and also for the sake of the nations. You can't say you want your nation changed if you're not willing to repent yourself. Because your repentance is what God says he will use to bring the nations to their repentance. Repentance is evangelistic. It is not a failure. It is the work of the gospel. Let the world see you admit, I'm not perfect. Christ is. And let them see you turn to the Lord continually in your life. And the Lord will use that to cause them to glory in him. The last thing is, better be blessing, is repentance is how we win. Repentance is how we win. Repentance is, in the end, uh, where the victory comes. Uh, we actually saw this already in Hosea 14 last week, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look here again. Hosea 14, verse 3, Israel is being called to repent, as we saw, uh, to return to the Lord, to confess their sins. If you need to go back and look at verses 1 through 2, you're going to see that. You're going to see what they were trusting in, see the call. And, and, and what was their sin? Their sin, the, the Israel's sin, was that they had been trusting in the wrong things to bring them victory. So in Hosea 14, it says, Assyria shall not save us. What is that? Why, why would they make that confession? Because who had they been trusting in to save them? Assyria. When they say, we will not ride on horses, what is that assuming? That's assuming they thought, oh, our victory is going to come because we've trusted in these horses. But what is their hope? In you, the orphan finds mercy. It is in the Lord. Like, so they'd been trusting in horses. They'd been trusting in Assyria. But Assyria could not provide. Assyria could not answer their need. Assyria would not be what they should hope in. Assyria could provide nothing for them. They'd been worried about winning. No. Siri just tried to answer my question. I said Assyria, not Siri. They were trusting in Assyria. They, they were trusting in them to provide uh, for them. If you go down, if you go down and continue, continue to look at Hosea 14, what were they worried about? It says that, that Israel wanted to blossom, that they wanted to grow, that they wanted the kingdom of God to expand, and they wanted to be beautiful. And they thought that Assyria or horses or their idols would protect them and would protect the fatherless. He says, and they had to repent of that, that God is the one who does that. And he says that those things, if you continue, Hosea says those things are going to happen. But God says, I'm the one who's going to make those happen. In repentance, we realize that God is the one who brings us victory. Who is going to protect the orphan? What does Hosea say? We trusted in Assyria. We trusted in horses. We trusted in our idols. But what? What is the last line he says there in 14.3? In you, the orphan finds mercy. In you. Not in Assyria. Not in someone else to help you save the orphan. Not in someone else outside the kingdom of God to help you. The kingdom of God, when they repent, when they turn to the Lord, he will bring them victory. But if we say we want the orphan to be, to be saved, if we say we want our kingdom, we want the kingdom of God to grow, we want it to blossom, the very things that it's going to talk about in the next verses, if we say we want that, where does that come from? 
repent. You repent. You trust in him. The same thing we see in Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, this time it's the results of not repenting. So if, you, if we are repentant people, God will cause us to blossom. He'll cause us to grow. He will cause us to be beautiful. He will do those things, but only when we trust in him. Only when we turn to him. Instead, that's why it's important to know that repentance is turning to the Lord. Repentance is faith in the Lord rather than faith in all these other things. Faith in him. You're going to do it, God. So we will do it righteously. We will do it justly. Not because we can count the number of people on God's side and go, yeah, that's more than Assyria, I think now. Go ahead, do it. Be righteous now. Because I think we got more. I think we got, do we have, you know, we got five out of the nine. God's got five out of the nine. So we can do the righteous thing now. And just be righteous. Why? Because all it takes is one God to save the orphan. And if we trusted in the one God more than the 99 other things, uh, God will take care of the orphan. And if we don't, if we turn to anything else, we cannot expect the orphan to be saved because we're not turning to the one who can't save it. We're acting like we are, but we're not. And look at what happens. Look at what happens if we don't repent. Look at what happens if we don't turn to the Lord. All we get is not, we don't get blossoming. We don't get growing. We don't become beautiful. All we get is failure and defeat. Isaiah 30, beginning in verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In repentance. There's that word repentance. In repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In other words, repent and go, I'm glad I did that. And then rest. You repent and then you rest. Let this, I almost threw this into the attitude part uh, of, just, of just knowing that when you repent, you then rest. You, and that's part of the belief. That's part of the faith. I can trust in God. I don't have to repent and then hold on to my guilt. I repent and then I trust. I rest in, in Christ. I rest. I've done what I've turned to the Lord. I've done what I, what I need to do. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling to repent. And you said, no. We will flee upon horses. This is again, horses get people in a lot of trouble biblically. So watch out, cowboys. Uh We will flee upon horses. Therefore, oh, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. And unrepentant people always end up a defeated people. The horses they trusted in are just horses that they have to use to run away. The swift steeds, they find out their opponent's steeds were swifter. And in the end, even a thousand will run away from the one. You compare, you compare this to what he said in Hosea. So if you have a thousand Christians trusting in the wrong thing, they will flee from one unrighteous person. But if you have Christians trusting in the one who matters, it's the world that flees. So either way, someone's going to flee from the one. Either Christians are going to flee from the one enemy, they're going to flee, or will trust in the one that matters, and it's the world that will end up glorying in him. Either way. 
The kingdom of God advances not through a pragmatic people. The kingdom of God advances through a repentant people. And for too long, the church has tried to figure out what works. And we've tried to look at the world and say, well, what's going to work? What's going to get them here? You know what's going to get them here? Your repentance. Your repentance, your faith, our repentance, our belief in the gospel is what the Lord will use. What works? Return to the Lord. Trust in him and watch the nation's glory in the one true God. Let's pray. We looked at what repentance must be last week, that repentance must be action. And we took a moment last week and I asked you to do the same because we want to be steadfast, right? We want to be steadfast about our repentance. We want to hold fast to, to, to justice, righteousness. We want to hold fast to those things. So last week, either you asked the Lord, is there anything that I need to repent and return to you because I've been living a certain way or doing something or not being obedient? Is there anything the Lord convicted you of? You need to confess it and turn from it to him. Did you do that? If you did, great. Now look and hold fast. How have you done this week? Have you held fast to that repentance? Or did you just repent last week, feel bad, say I'm going to fix it, but never did? You did not hold fast to the, to the repentance as you're, as you're supposed to do. And so right now, this is why we cry out to the Lord. We cry out to the Lord because we know, we are humble enough to know that if repentance is going to come to your heart, it's going to come from him. He's the one who shows you your sin and he's the one who causes you to return to him. So right now, just cry out. Cause me to repent and I will repent. That's just quoting scripture. That is a scripture quoting prayer. Cause me to repent and I will repent, Lord. So cry out to him. God, cause me to return to you. Please cause me to return to you. And if he does, you will. And you can rejoice that the Lord always answers that prayer. And then wait. Wait continually on your God. Wait expectantly. Wait in hope that the Lord who began this good work in you will bring it to completion. The one who began this good work in us will bring it to completion as well. Why? Because our repentance, why did we take these moments? Why did we take these weeks to look at repentance? Hopefully not just today, but throughout the week, be thinking about repenting. Why? Why was that so important? Because we saw in scripture how important repentance is. Repentance is you living out the gospel. You can, you can try all day long to want to be a good gospel Christian, to want to show people God in your life. Look, if you're not living a life of repentance, you are living a, a horrible picture of the gospel, a truncated at best picture of the gospel. I mean, think about it with your kids. If your kids, if you've told your kids about Jesus, but your kids have never seen you confess and repent of your sin, your kids have not seen the whole gospel at work in your life. If you think that the way you preach the gospel to your kids is by making your kids seem perfect or making you seem perfect to your kids, well, the way you lead your kids to the gospel is let them see you repent. Let them know of a hundred sins that their parents have committed and repented of. That would be better for them than for you to think that you've got them fooled. And so you've never repented. You've never confessed and repented anything, even though they've seen you lose your cool. They've seen the way you talk to mom. They've seen the way you talk to dad. They've seen whatever. You want to live a gospel life? Live a life of repentance. Live a life that people can see this person is returning to the Lord in faith and in belief. 
That's, that repentance is evangelistic. That repentance is how the kingdom of God advances and how Christians flourish. That's how we grow. That's how we blossom. That's how we become beautiful. If we don't, if we don't repent, the only thing that will come is defeat. Defeat for you, defeat for us. We want the kingdom to advance. Be a repentant people. For God's sake, for your sake, for the world's sake, let's repent. Father, we come to you today, and God, how, how much do we need you? I mean, we began this just with, with a recognition from Hosea, God, that we, we can only repent by your help. And so even now, as we see our sin, may we be recognizing, God, thank you for showing this to me. Thank you for showing me again what you might have shown me a hundred times, and I turned a blind eye to a hundred times. Thank you for being steadfast in, in killing sin in me. Thank you for showing me the thing that, that even I've repented of and gone back to because I haven't been steadfast in doing the right thing. And thank you for your patience. And thank you for your work. Father, we know, we know that unless you cause us to repent, we would not repent. And so we cry out to you, Father, in your children, discipline us and drive us back to yourself in wherever you need to and however you need to. Not just for me individually, but for us. If there is a, if there's a believer in here or believers who, who need to be driven back to you, Father, drive them. Use us to encourage each other to be a repentant people. To, to have that be very clear to the world. That our faith, our hope is in you. And we are constantly returning to our God. Holding steadfast in obedience to him. Father, use that to advance your kingdom. Use that to cause the nations to glory in you. Because what will we be talking about? We will repent because we believe in the good news. We will repent because we have faith in Christ. And so, Father, when we repent, we're not showing how great we are. We're showing how great our Savior is. That no matter what our sin, we can return to a holy God by his perfect atoning sacrifice that covers every sin and makes us a righteous people. We thank you for that, Father. Continue to holify us. Continue to lead us to repent. That we might bring glory to your name. Till every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.